Hey, Vet Folio Voice. This episode is sponsored by Elenco and features Dr. Fred Metzger to talk about an exciting update in the management of canine parvovirus. The availability of canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody, or CPMA. Before we get into our episode, let's just have story time for a minute about the last parvo case I saw. It was a litter of puppies and I had a high suspicion of parvo. Sure enough, immediately positive on Eliza. And thankfully, since parvo was high on my differential list, I was careful to really try to limit the equipment I touched and used and how I handled it when I was managing these puppies. However, once I kind of got them settled, I knew that a few days later, I would be seeing some unvaccinated puppies and my paranoia kicked in. What if I didn't clean well enough? What if I thought I didn't touch something, but I actually did? What if something happens to these puppies, these unvaccinated puppies that I'm about to go see? So I unpacked every single item of my mobile equipment and wiped everything down to eliminate any trace of Parvo that may have accidentally caused some contamination. The take home message of this story is wear gloves when you wipe stuff down. Let's just say it took a little longer than expected and my hands really paid the price for quite some time afterward. However, I am happy to report I'm all healed up and the Parvo puppies recovered beautifully and they are thriving. But as wonderful as all that news is, could there be an option that could shorten the course of this disease or lessen the severity or reduce shedding? That's what we're talking about in this episode. As I said, I was joined by Dr. Fred Metzger, and his passion for effective parvo management really comes through in this talk. Dr. Fred Metzger is a 1986 graduate of Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine and a diplomate of the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners. He's an adjunct professor at Pennsylvania State University and co-authored Clinical Pathology Interpretation in Geriatric Veterinary Patients and A Guide to Hematology in Dogs and Cats. Dr. Metzger received the Outstanding Alumni Award from Penn State University in 2016 and the Distinguished Alumni Award from the Purdue College of Veterinary Medicine in 2022. Dr. Metzger is the Medical Director of the VCA Metzger Animal Hospital, a 13-doctor, 90-team member, AHA-certified general, referral, and 24-hour emergency hospital in State College, Pennsylvania. In October 2022, Dr. Metzger formed Laboratory Retrievers, LLC, a clinical pathology education and advisory company with his mentors, Dr. Dennis DiNicola and Dr. Alan Rebar. He was so much fun to talk to. Let's learn more about canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Fred Metzger, and we're going to talk about parvo, uh, something I'm kind of excited to talk about because it's one of those very serious diseases that is fairly common, um, but maybe it doesn't get a lot of attention. So Fred, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure, Cassie. Couldn't be happier to be here. So let's talk about kind of just the commonality of parvo. How common is parvo? I don't know about you, but I've been practicing a long time. So it's sporadic, right? I mean, there's some weeks we're like, wow, I have three parvo dogs and we may not see it for eight months. It's so hit and miss. But I think when you look at who gets parvo, generally puppies, right? It's a, one of the biggest, most common diseases and most serious diseases that puppies get. So 
I think the disease is actually increasing because we are seeing it in puppies, which we've always seen. But now we've seen it in some older dogs, even dogs one to two years of age that ended up missing some of their vaccines during COVID. So one thing I want to remind everybody today is that we can see parvo in older dogs. It's not just a puppy disease. I think that's such a good reminder. I have to give a shout out to a former technician that I worked with. Um, we had a dog come in with some GI symptoms who was, I think, I want to say she was 14 years old. And um, I was really busy running around with some other patients. And she kind of took it upon herself and said, I parvo tested her and she came up positive. Well, and the thing is, you know, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. I've had dogs that I took to surgery for foreign body, right? One or two year old dog, you take them to surgery, you don't find anything. And then you, you look back and they really become leukopenic and you're like, well, this couldn't be parvo. You check them for parvo. So it's something that one of the big things I wanted to get on today is just remind people that it's not always as straightforward as you think the diagnosis of parvo. And also, I think we should talk about coexisting diseases today as well, which can be a problem with parvo. Absolutely. And I'm glad you bring up the leukopenia, because when I think of parvo diagnostics, I think of a snap test. But there's definitely some other markers we need to be looking for. So um, can we dive into the snap test and some of the other blood work findings? Like you said, this can be along with other diseases. What do we need to keep in mind when we're talking about diagnostics for parvo? I think number one is don't get tunnel vision. You know, don't say it's a Rottweiler puppy. It's, you know, 11 weeks old. It's vomiting. It's got to be parvo. It might. But so two things I would remind everybody, certainly parvo has got to be the top of your list. The ELISA test, i.e. the SNAP test and some of the other diagnostics are really good. You know, you can have some false negatives if you test the puppies too early or too late, or if they have sometimes severe diarrhea and they're not passing much of the virus because that's an antigen test, you can get some false negative tests, all right? But always run the minimum database as well. Hematology, chemistry with electrolytes, and if you can get a urine, that would be great. And also, I beg of everybody to check for the GI parasites because if we get a snap positive, we go down the parvo road when they can you know, frequently have GI parasites as well, and we don't treat them for that. So I think obviously finances come into this disease maybe more than any other disease, and I understand that. But really the best thing that we want to do, if money's not an object, which we know how that goes and we can talk about that, what I would really like to do is obviously run the ELISA. If it's positive, we're going to run and run the minimum database, CBC cam electrolytes, which will be a big help. You got to look for, you know, hypoglycemia, hypokalemia, all the electrolyte disturbances with this disease and make sure that we're following and monitoring those. Also, when I talked a little bit ago about the GI parasites, if possible, I'm a big fan of the PCR parasite panels just because you can miss them on overfloats. And you don't want to miss things like hookworms or roundworms or giardia or things like that or coccidia in a puppy that's already immunocompromised. And then the way I've always practiced the hoofbeats thing, I'm the weird person who thinks of zebras. So in my mind, even if I really think I have parvo and that's where I'm going to go, I'm always putting things like foreign body, not real common, a little puppy, I get that, in a susception. And then my other hoofbeat one with this disease would be salmonella. You know, salmonella can have leukopenia, can look a lot like parvo, obviously vomiting and diarrhea. Once again, the leukopenia, I love hematology, but it'll follow right down that same road as parvo. And, you know, 
fortunately, you're usually going to get a negative snap parvo on a salmonella dog. But that's one that's on my list when I'm like, oh, this has to be parvo. And you're like, wait a minute, the ELISA is negative. What could be going on? It looks exactly like parvo. Those are my my take-home points to everybody listening. Don't forget about salmonella. We do still see it. Don't forget about intussusception. You do not want to forget about is coexisting diseases with parvo. So those are things like intussusceptions, GI parasitism. And once again, if you have a negative parvo ELISA and you're like, I swear this is parvo, think about salmonella. That's one of the other things. We did a really nice resource in Clinician's Brief. Uh, recently on an algorithm for the diagnosis and treatment of canine parvovirus. And we talk about those things, right? You know, the coexisting diseases and other things to screen for in that algorithm. It's a really good resource. I think practitioners will like. Absolutely. I love a good algorithm. So do I. (laughs) I love that you bring up coexisting diseases. One of the most, one of the, just the worst cases I ever saw um, of parvo was a litter of puppies who all had parvo. And, you know, that's a story in and of itself. But we had a good treatment plan for the parvo and we were doing well, but they also had coccidia and the owner didn't give the dewormer for the coccidia because she felt like it would be too much on their system. And so to this day, I feel like I look back and I'm like, they didn't die apart. Like we didn't, we, we saved a bunch of them, but we lost a couple. Um, and I'm like, they, those guys didn't die of parvo. They died of coccidia. And that's happened to every one of us. I am a big fan of PCR fecal. I know it costs more. I get all that. And fecal floats are inexpensive. Love all that. But you also have to realize the things that you can miss. And once again, if money's no object, rare, but if you wanted to do the complete workup, I would do the fecal PCR because we've seen some things that have been very surprising on the fecal PCR that we would have missed on the overfloat. Obviously, if they can't afford it, we're not going to do a fecal PCR. I'm good with that. But if you really want to complete the picture, I would highly recommend doing that because you're going to see other parasites not just roundworms and hookworms. And you know, it's going to be the same group of puppies that have parvo, the same signalment. Absolutely. And when they're having, you know, just this liquid diarrhea, it's hard to find anything in, in that kind yeah. of sample. So that makes a lot of sense. We've talked about finances being a pain point when it comes to treating parvo, which 100%, that's always, you know, one of the big topics of conversation when we diagnose a parvo case. What are some of the other pain points you see when it comes to treating parvo? I think, and I certainly speak from my experience as a practice owner before, you know, the problem with Parvo is we get that phone call at five o'clock in the afternoon, some poor pet owner that has a puppy they just got has signs of Parvo and we kind of turn them away because we're like, wow, if we bring this Parvo animal in, we're going to have fecal shedding of a virus that's going to live weeks to months in the environment and maybe in our practice. That's a huge problem. It's going to require a lot of intensive care and a lot of technician time, especially. It's going to require a large bill. If we're going to do all the diagnostics I talked about, and we're going to keep the puppy in the hospital for several days or even a week, we all know that's going to be very expensive, especially if it's in a 24-hour ICU. So parvo is a horrible disease for many reasons. One is it creates a problem in our minds, especially if you're in an ER practice like ours. Like if I get a porcupine quill dog, awesome. We'll have them come in, a little, you know, medication, a little sedation. We'll get it out. They're on their way. Awesome disease. We'll be a hero. Parvo, it's going to take everything in your veterinary bones to treat. It's a hard disease to treat. It's internal med. It takes a lot of critical care. It's the perfect storm, which is sad. 
I'm hoping with some of the new treatments we have, we can kind of turn that around. And obviously that's where the canine parvoviral monoclonal antibody fits in. I think we can try to get rid of some of the stigma that we all have with parvo, me included. And I would like to try to get rid of that and treat more puppies. You know, I never really thought about it in that context of, um, you know, it, it, kind of creating this, like you said, stigma in our minds when we get that call of like, it's a parvo puppy, because uh, to bring it into the clinic, it can be really challenging and really, really labor intensive. And then, like you said, take all of all of the brain cells that we have functioning that day. Uh, but you're right, that is part of the problem when it comes to treating is, is finances and then getting our own brains wrapped around what's going on there. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think if you look at history with Parbo, a lot of times that I feel so bad for these pet owners, a lot of times they're first time puppy owners. This is the happiest moment of their lives. They've got kids, especially. And if you think about how that looks, if they have a puppy with vomiting and diarrhea, maybe they're not thinking Parvo, they just have a sick puppy. They call into our practices. A lot of times, if they get someone in customer service that's well-trained, we've trained him really well, right? And we tell them, anybody with a puppy that has vomiting and diarrhea, tell them to stay out in the parking lot, give them an estimate of $5,000. It's almost like we're, we train them to do everything so we don't let this person come in. And we, we've done it as a practice owner. I'm sure I've done it where you're thinking, wow, it's going to be a lot of money. They're not going to be able to afford it. And that's what I'm saying. I think I really want us to start thinking about what we're doing. And with a sick puppy, that's such a great opportunity to bond someone to your practice. And that's why we all got into vet med. So I want us to kind of lower our stigma on this disease and start to think about what we're really doing. And I think with the new treatment, it's going to give us that opportunity. Yes. So let's talk about that. I'm excited. Canine parvovirus monoclonal antibody. Tell us a little bit more about it. You know, it was a product that's been recently developed by Lanco and was studied before. So, you know, the, the point of the monoclonal antibody is to actually treat the disease. Right now, what are we doing with parvo? We're treating the symptoms and all the aftermath. And the way I kind of look at parvo, if you're grilling outside and you get a little grease fire on your grill, you know, I can get my little fire extinguisher and put it out, but if it keeps burning, now it takes your whole outside grill area down, it's burning, and now it's going to spread to your house. That's how I look at Parvo, because what we're trying to do is if we could prevent that virus from entering the enterocytes and then prevent it from attacking bone marrow and myocardial cells, we'd be able to put the fire out or at least decrease the severity of the fire. And that's the whole idea here. So with the monoclonal antibody, the parvovirus monoclonal antibody, we're really trying to treat the virus at its source and prevent entry into the enterocytes, which is where it's going to do all of its damage and cause all the bad things. So the sooner we can treat puppies with this monoclonal antibody, the better. And that's kind of the key. Treat it early as you can in the disease. So what is the target of the monoclonal antibody? You know, this is a drug class that we're becoming more and more familiar with. Where exactly is the monoclonal antibody targeting? So it's going to, it's hopefully going to prevent attachment to the enterocytes. That's kind of, you know, obviously the virus is going to infect the crypts of Libercon, where the rapidly dividing cells, remember all those fun things? I was going to say, so, we're really taking me yeah, back here. <laughs> I know. How about that? So, you know, if we can, we can prevent or decrease, I'm not saying it's going to prevent everything, but if we can decrease that invasion into the enterocytes, we're going to be able to prevent a large portion of the disease. Now, remember, if we get the disease later on, 
the enterocytes are already infected, we can probably still help, but the best time is gonna be early into this disease. Because if we can prevent the damage to the enterocytes, we can prevent a lot of the other bad things that are gonna happen. And if you look at what happens to the bone marrow eventually, here now we have a puppy that has a compromised immune system. They don't have any neutrophils or lymphocytes. And now they have damaged gut all where all the bacteria are and all the bad things that can happen, you're getting a perfect storm for a really horrible disease. So if we can kind of get that fire extinguisher and put things out before it gets rolling, we're going to decrease our hospitalization and have a better outcome in a majority of the puppies. And who doesn't want that, especially when you're treating sick puppies? That's what we all want. That's the worst. Well, I think the key is if you think it really comes down and we're a 24 hour facility and, you know, where people spend a lot of money is overnight care, right? And we have a veterinarian, several techs. So anything we can do to shorten the number of hospitalized days is going to help the puppy. Clearly, it's going to help people in finances. And the under the thing people don't think about to our staff, we're all overworked right now, especially the technicians. So the technicians are the ones that get stuck treating the parvo dogs, right? You and I or looking at them every day, but you know, the techs are doing all the work. Let's be honest. They're cleaning up everything. They're doing the foot baths, gowning. So anything that we can do to decrease that workload is going to help our, not just our patients, but it's going to help our hospitals as well. And then the other big thing that we really need to think about is if we can get the canine parvoviral monoclonal antibody in there as quickly as possible and shorten the duration and severity of the disease, we can probably prevent a lot of the fecal shedding. I mean, that's the thing you got to remember. This is a non-enveloped DNA virus that's going to live in the environment a long time. We do not want them shedding virus all in our clinic and outside in the yard. So anything we can do to shorten that case and decrease the shedding and maybe get the puppies home earlier, which is what I think is going to happen, we can get them out of our hospitals and help other pup puppies. Cause I really worry about puppies that are coming into our hospital after we have a parvo dog. I mean, that's something that worry that should worry all of us. Yeah. I'm recalling having to wipe all of my mobile clinic stuff down after seeing a parvo case. And I, I, I had this high suspicion and I, I knew that was what I was probably looking at. I got an Eliza positive and, but it's still, I was so worried about, you know, what if I touched something and didn't realize it? So yeah, it was, yeah. it was like a whole afternoon of taking everything apart and wiping it down. And yeah, so the quicker we can, we can get them out of there. So we have separate isolation, which is really nice. However, a lot of times I would come in Monday morning because of course I don't want to work <laughs> overnight. I'm, I'm old and lazy now. The, uh, you know, I see a puppy in the, the cat ward. I'm like, what is that puppy doing there? And they're like, well, you know, we didn't want to put them in ISO because we really want to watch this one carefully. And I get all that, but imagine, I mean, if that's a puppy with parvo, now it's in your practice. And fomite transmission's a big problem with parvo. And parvo, of course, we all do the dilute bleach, but it's still hard to kill. And it's easy to transmit and it's going to stay a long time. So you want to keep that parvo suspect out in the parking lot if we can, do our ELISA there. And if it's positive, then go to a, if you have a separate isolation area, most of us don't. Um, the problem is then we try to pawn them off into the emergency hospital, go there. Well, that's where a lot of things happen where people can't afford it. So I hate that because I think, a lot. well, I know a lot of puppies never get treated for parvo because of the finances and a lot of the stigmas attached. So I think the canine parvo monoclonal antibody puts the treatment of parvovirus back into the general practitioner's hand. 
And I think that's going to be a really good thing. It's going to be more accessible. It's going to be more affordable. And we're going to be able to treat more puppies. And a lot of them, I think, will be able to treat actually on an outpatient basis, which would be really great for the patient, the pet owner, and the practice as well. This sounds like this could be a huge win. I love the idea of putting things back into the hands of the general practitioners. One, because I'm biased and I am a general practitioner. Um, But also our emergency hospitals are overwhelmed and they have big things they need to deal with. Like you said, finances are a major pain point when it comes to this disease. And then treating outpatient, that sounds ideal, like you said, because we don't have them in our hospital. So thinking of the treatment for parvo in general, you know, antidiarrheals, fluids, antibiotics, you know, these different things. How does CPMA fit in? Like, where do we start to incorporate that? Is this something we give as soon as they come into the clinic? Um, how do we how do we incorporate that into our treatment regimen? I, for me, it's first line because if I can shut that virus down, uh, that's going to be the goal. Otherwise, of course, we're going to do IV fluids. Uh, you know, if they're hypoglycemic, hypokalemic, we need to correct that. Generally, antibiotics are going to be leukopenic, lymphopenic. And then we need a lot of monitoring. So you can see pretty much right away that anything you can do to shorten that, if I can prevent attachment into the enterocytes, I can probably put this disease out. That's rarely going to happen, right? Because people are like, my puppy has vomiting. They come right in, parvolysa, IV treatment with CPMA. But I think that is going to be more possible as clients, pet owners are educated. Primary care veterinarians are more educated. And I could see a scenario where we're telling clients, hey, this is a serious disease, but we can do an IV injection, a bolus of fluids right now, um, do some antibiotics. I'd love to do lab work, but what if people can? I mean, I'm going to treat them as best I can. And then maybe they come back the next day out in the parking lot and we're doing sub-Q fluids. I I can see that happening. The other thing you got to think about the poor shelters, right? I mean, they're seeing this all the time. This is going to be a huge plus for them where they, their shelter veterinarians or the shelter a lot of times can treat the parvo case right at the source and try to shut it down right there. So I think this is the perfect time to bring it back to the primary care veterinarian. Let's make treatment more accessible and more affordable and treat more parvo puppies. Because I'll tell you, it breaks my heart. When I hear someone on the phone, and I've heard it before at our own place, and we're telling people that they could be spending five or $10,000, which is the truth, for doing all the diagnostics, a week of hospitalization, it could be five or $10,000. Well, maybe if we can get that one in right away, we could treat them for a thousand. Like my opinion on this drug, and this is just my opinion, we have to make money. I get all that. But for this drug, my feeling is, why don't we charge what it costs us, all right, and use one vial per 11 pounds of puppy, IV. It's one one IV injection, preferably, you know, IV fluids, catheter, and then give the drug. And maybe you can keep them for a couple hours on fluids. I think we should not mark this drug up in the beginning. We should just charge what it costs us. Charge for the hospitalization, fluids, diagnostics. I'm with all that. But I think if you go crazy and mark this drug right up in the beginning, this is a disease that not only is affecting the puppy, but I guarantee you as a practice owner, your staff is looking at you as the leader. And if you're telling people, I don't want that parvo puppy in here, I don't want it to infect everything, and they don't have the money, I'm sorry, man. I think that just takes all the mojo out of your practice. 
and everybody looks at you like, why are we even doing this then? Is this is this about the money? And it's not. It's just, you know, Parvo is going to be expensive and all these bad things that we've all been through all these years. I say, let's turn it around and take this new therapy. The pet owners are going to read about this on the Internet. They're going to know probably more than we do. So I think you should be versed on it. And for me, I really think it's going to be a first line drug. And the other thing is the shelf life on this drug is two years. So this is something you do want to have in your freezer because you don't want to be thinking, I have a Parvo dog. Now let's order it. Now I can get it in three days. Once again, treat them as soon as possible with this IV injection so you can hopefully shut the virus down before it creates most of its damage. That's the whole idea behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And I love that you bring up the team because um, I agree with you with Parvo kind of coming in waves. And man, just having, seeing Parvo cases in, and when you're in a wave of them and you feel like you're seeing them back to back to back, that's enough to kill anybody's morale. I mean, there's nothing worse than sick leukopenic puppies that you're, you're having a hard time getting them to turn around. Nobody wants to see sick puppies. So... Can you expand no. a little bit? I can hear the passion in your voice. So I feel like there's more there on the benefit of CPMA and incorporating this into our parvo treatments, not only for, for the practice, for the puppy, for, you know, everybody, but, but most importantly, the team who, as you brought up, they're the ones carrying the majority of this load. They're doing the, the foot baths and the DK. Oh, I hate all that stuff. Um, so I can totally relate to mm -hmm. people who are like, I don't want to have that in the hospital and deal with all of that. Um, but if we can get those puppies better, it can really turn around that, you know, that low morale from having to see so many sick puppies. I mean, think about what you and I and our poor techs and customer service people are doing. You know, no wonder we, we have mental health problems in vet med. All the, it's, it's a sad job. There's nothing worse than a puppy that we could save and it dies. I mean, I don't know about you. It's like, that's the worst yes. of the worst. All right. And so this treatment for me allows us to say to our staff, hey, We've got something better now. We all want to save puppies. We want to save every patient, but am I a puppy? Uh, this family just got a puppy. They have kids. I mean, this is their first step into, you know, pet ownership is a pretty big deal. And this says a lot about your practice. So I think this is a rallying cry for all of us. Like, listen, we all deal with so much death and bad stuff. We've got something new. So, hey, everybody, we got a new treatment. Um, I think it shows that you're keeping up on current treatment. The other thing is, if you're going to, we're all trying to hire veterinarians. I mean, if you don't have this product, I think a new graduate's going to be like, bye, I'm going to go on to another one. And I think the technicians and especially the customer service, our reception staff, they get punished. They never get to do have any fun. I mean, they have to collect money and I don't know how they do it, right? So the one thing I love about this treatment, and I really think it's important that we educate our front office staff on this treatment, that instead of, oh, it might be a parvo and this is all going to be sad and I have to bring up about the money and just kind of discourage them from coming in. Imagine how they feel, our poor staff up front that maybe don't have a veterinary background and we're telling them, if you have a parvo one, don't let them come in basically. A sick puppy that needs help. Once we educate them on this product, the monoclonal antibody, I think it's going to completely turn around their approach and they're going to talk to the clients on the phone and say, hey, might be parvo, hopefully not, but it's a disease that we see. You know, when you pull up in the parking lot, call us, and we're going to have our technician come out. And if it's that, we actually have a new treatment. So like you never want parvo, but um, if that's what it is, 
um, we have a new treatment that's pretty effective. And if we get it early, we can have a much better outcome instead of trying to discourage them. And like you said, in the 24-hour facilities, we're general, some referral and 24-hour. We've got other things to do in the middle of the night. And, you know, these are puppies that will, if not treated, will need intensive care for days. It's going to take our best efforts to get them through it. So I think any load that we can take off the 24-hour practices will be welcome. And I said, once again, I think this is a perfect primary family practice veterinarian should be all over this. And I really think we're going to take over 90% of the treatment of Parbo. And I think a lot of them, once again, can be outpatient. That's amazing. Human animal bond, man, this is the disease. You can either embrace it or not, but this is a perfect time to embrace. There's nothing better than a puppy. I mean, that's what keeps us all going. So to save a puppy is everything to you and your staff. Absolutely. And it, I can hear the passion in your voice. And it really does sound like huge wins all around for the general practitioner, for the emergency practice, for our, our poor front desk staff. I agree to be able to offer some encouraging news. Um, just so, so we're all clear on this medication, I want to get a little bit into the nitty gritty and make sure I'm understanding. Yeah. We order the vials and these are stored in the freezer. Is that correct? Yeah, one thing that's really the thing that Alanco doesn't talk enough about, and they should. This product um, has a lot of engineering behind it, and it has to be kept extremely cold temperatures. So they developed a special shipping box that is a when you get it, you're like, "What is this thing?" It's a special box specifically designed for this product to keep it at sub-zero temperatures. So you get it, you order it, it comes in. You take it out of the, the inner box into, into your freezer. It has to be kept in a freezer, okay? Shelf life of two years. And in the vials, there's little vials. I think there's four or five in a in a box. One vial, once again, will treat 11 pounds of puppy. So, you know, you got a 22-pound puppy, you're going to give them two vials. You bring up the, the frozen vial up to room temperature, and then you're going to give it as one injection IV. That's pretty much how it works. So it's really interesting. Is it a slow push or a CRI or anything like that? It can be either. To be honest with you, we're just giving it as a bolus. We're, we're hooking our RV fluids up. You can give it as a bolus, a CRI. I would just give it as a bolus. That way you make sure you're in. You, you've given the drug. You want to make sure the drug's in there. But then what I like is with IV fluids, let's say we're going to treat this puppy as an outpatient. The people are like, listen, I don't have a lot of money. You got to go bare bones. Okay. We're going to do IV catheter. We're going to give her fluids. We're going to give our canine parvoviral monoclonal antibody as a bolus. Whoop. You know, one, one vial per 11 pounds of body weight. I would keep our fluids going for, you know, can I keep your puppy for a couple hours? We can do bolus fluids. Maybe they're hypoglycemic. And then, you know, our anti-vomit, probably our antibiotic. And then, you know, I'd love to keep that puppy in the hospital a couple of days. But if people are like, listen, I can't swing it. You know, I don't have the money. All right. Well, then could you guys come back tomorrow? Let's look at the puppy again out in the parking lot. And that's where I want you to park. And we're going to have Mary, our technician who loves working with puppies, is going to come out. We'll check the puppy out. We'll probably do sub-Q fluids again. And let's see where we're at. If we're worse, or maybe you leave the IV catheter in, right? And say, let's give another bolus of fluids while you guys are here. You know, maybe that puppy will need to be hospitalized, but maybe we've given the monoclonal antibody and shut it down. So I could see a couple of days where people are coming in for outpatient therapy that would 
replace the 24-hour care that a lot of people just can't do. So I think it's going to be all over the place. But for me, this product, the monoclonal antibody, is going to be first line. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Clearly, it has costs, but I think if you could save one day of hospitalization, that's going to pay for it. So I look at this as something, once again, I wouldn't go crazy on the markup. I'd mark up my cost. I got to pay for my labor. Of course, I got to do that. But I'm going to say for maybe you don't make as much on the product. I'm saying that's going to save your sanity and your mojo and your career. I don't know. Put a price Can't on that. Can't put a price on my <laughs> mojo. There's not a price <laughs> on that. And your team's going to look at you and go, you know, this is why I got into vet med, especially your customer service people that haven't been through this, right? They haven't been through what we've been through. So I'm sure they've got to be thinking, well, why am I supposed to tell puppy not to come in? Like, I'm going to get another job. Like, what is this all about? You know? So I think this is a chance to build a lot of practice loyalty with the pet owners. But more importantly, I think this is a chance to rebond with your staff from the front to the back and say, hey, you know what? This is why we got into this insane profession that we're all in. I think it's a chance to rebirth this, give some things back to everything. We all need a hug right now. I think this is a chance sure, to do it again. Sure, absolutely. When we're talking about our CSRs and communicating this, you know, hey, we have a new treatment, you know, we might be able to, that might help us do an outpatient treatment, which will save finances and give us a lot more opportunity to be able to help your puppy. How are we training staff to communicate this with clients? And then how are we communicating with clients? At least how do you foresee that happening for front desk staff and veterinarians about this treatment when they're already probably concerned about their puppy, of course, concerned about finances and, and what's going to happen here? I think um, especially the front office people just teach them a little bit about viruses, right? It's like COVID. COVID's a virus. There's really no treatment for a virus, all right? Yeah, there are antivirals, but you'd like to try to treat the disease right at the beginning, and that's what this is. So with parvovirus, it's a virus. Um, we've never had a treatment for it before. We have to treat the aftermath of the fire. With this medication, the canine parvo monoclonal antibody, it's an actual treatment directed directly against the virus. That's never happened before with Parvo. And as you know, we won't name brands, but there are other monoclonal antibodies in the market for itching. And, you know, this is where we're going in vet med. And that's what's so exciting about this new treatment for Parvo. It's pretty novel. It's the first monoclonal antibody we've had against the disease in veterinary medicine. I mean, that's cool. There's going to be others. You know, this is what we're going to be doing. You know, chemotherapy, we have it, but like, that's pretty amazing. So someone will listen to this in 10 years and they're going to be laughing at you and I being like, oh my God, they talked about, it. they thought this was a big deal. This is a big deal at this time in veterinary medicine that we have an actual treatment against a virus. So I'm super excited about it. We've already used it a lot. I think we've seen amazing results. And once again, you got to treat these puppies as early as possible because you're trying to shut the disease down. You don't want the fire burning the house down. Let's get it while it's at the charcoal grill. Let's put it out right there. And that's the whole theory behind it. Yes. And I love that you bring up monoclonal antibodies and that these are becoming more and more widely used because I love a monoclonal antibody. They're just such cool drugs. And I love how they they tend to be pretty safe for our patients, no matter what they have going on, which is exciting. 
Um, which brings up another one of my kind of nitty gritty questions. Is there any, contra- I guess two nitty gritty questions. One, any contraindications to giving this monoclonal antibody? And two, we talked about, you know, maybe we do this on the day of diagnosis and we have them come back for outpatient care the next day. Is there any indication or benefit to administer it a second time? On the label, this medication, the monoclonal antibody, should be used on only on puppies eight weeks and older. So I would not use it on a puppy less than eight weeks right now. Um, and I think that we'll learn a lot as we go along. Of course, a lot of labels will change as we get more experience with it. And certainly if you would have an animal that would have an anaphylactic reaction, I mean, that would be clearly another contraindication. In the early going with the ones that we've treated, and I've talked to a lot of other colleagues that are using the monoclonal antibody right now, luckily, I have not talked to anyone that's had a reaction. I'm not saying it can happen because it can, but it looks like it's a very safe product. So right now, the only contraindication for me would be puppies eight weeks and younger. I think the monitoring for me, once again, if money's no object, I would give this drug right away as soon as possible. I would do all my cool testing that I like to do, I like to do C-reactive protein. I like to put them in the ICU for a week, but they're going to spend five to $10,000. I'm saying, and with the experiences that I've seen already with this monoclonal antibody, that's going to be more more of an approach to the past. I'm not saying some puppies may not need full bore ICU, especially if we're getting this disease later on where the monoclonal antibody, we missed the perfect window to hit it right away and shut it down. I still think there'll be some benefit, but if we're three, four days into parvo, you might already have damage done and might need to go and do more intensive therapy. What I'm saying is my prediction is this is going to be primary care vet. You, me, other people are going to have this in our freezer. We're going to have a parvo puppy. We're going to defrost the vial. We're going to give one dose IV and a bolus of fluids. And then just like we always do in vet med, we'll kind of see what happens. My prediction and what I've seen already, I'm guessing, will become this will become more of an outpatient treatment for a majority of patients. There are some patients clearly that will need to be in the ICU for days. There will be some puppies that will still die, all right? I think we're going to bring the mortality and the hospitalization rate down a lot with this disease because it's going to be in the primary care vet. I want to see primary care veterinarians Takeover treatment of Parvo, which will also drive down the cost. I think it'll be a huge benefit, and I'm interested to see. There's other things that we'll do with this product as we go along that you know that I'm not really going to talk about. But there's other things. Will there are other things? Will veterinarians use this off label? Of course, and we'll probably learn a lot more. So in the next year or two, I think this will be uh, even more interesting than it is right now. But it's pretty darn interesting right now. <laughs> I think. Absolutely. To have another treatment option against what can, you know, really just be a bear of a disease, you know, and it sounds like, like we talked about kind of everybody win here and, and most importantly, saving some puppies. That's what it's all about because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what gets you through this career. I've been doing this, I don't know, 36 years. I can't believe that. And I do love it, but I totally understand why everybody gets beaten down over the years and the COVID thing just killed all of us, you know? So to have something new, I like learning new things you do. This is a new thing. It looks really great. And I think it makes you dust things off and get rid of your old notions about Parvo, especially people in my age group that went through a lot of bad stuff. You're like, I don't want to see Parvo. I'm not saying bring all your Parvos to me. 
I think it's going to change our perception of Parvo, and we're certainly going to be more welcoming, which is what we should have done in the first place. And I think our staff is going to be much happier that we're at least willing to try and help these puppies instead of trying to turn them away because that just eats you to the core. So I think it's going to be helpful for your practice culture as well. Absolutely. Well, Fred, Dr. Metzger, what a great conversation. I love listening to your passion um, just about obviously about this product, but about saving puppies and keeping morale up and the health of the whole veterinary profession. So thank you so much for joining me. And I hope we can do it again sometime. Cassie, thanks. It was so much fun. And the whole thing, everybody remember, like this is a gift of a profession. It's super hard. I get that. But something like this, a new treatment, kind of embrace this and educate your staff and let's try to get rid of some of the old demons on some of these diseases. Yes, absolutely. Try to have some fun in this profession. I'm so glad that you said that because I agree. It's a it's a really difficult profession and it can be a thankless job sometimes. But man, I don't want to be doing anything else. Oh, uh, that's great, Cassie. You rock. Thanks. <laughs> Well, I hope everybody out there is feeling a little more optimistic that we have one more tool that we can use to help manage these poor puppies with parvovirus. Thank you so much to Elenco for making this episode possible. Thank you to Dr. Metzger for joining me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. Mm -hmm.